Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has found itself in front of Casella, someone who Dante Art Pilgrim knows very well, who has also just gotten out of the boat an angel has directed toward the shores of purgatory. We've also found out that this Casella has hung around the land of the living a good while. We're not quite sure how long. But then even after the angel said all aboard, he still apparently hung around for three months. All unanswered and strange questions. Here we have just 12 lines. It's a small passage I want to do in Canto 2 of Purgatorio, lines 106 through 117. This is my English translation of the medieval Florentine. You can find it on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. You can print it off. You can make notes. You can drop a comment, read along, do anything you like over there. Well, all right, not anything you like. Come on, within limits. But you know what I mean. You can check it out over there, or you can just sit back and listen here. We have stopped with Casella's explanation of how he finally has arrived in purgatory, and we pick it up with Dante the Pilgrim's response in lines 106 through 117 of Canto Two of Purgatorio. So I said, if a new law doesn't take from you the memory and practice of those love songs that used to shush all my sorrows, may it please you to console my spirit a little with one now, for it has dragged my body here, and I am completely out of breath. Love that carries on a discourse with me in my mind, he began then so sweetly, that the sweetness still sounds inside me. My master and I and these people who were around Casella seemed so content, as if that song was the only thing that could touch our minds. Some of what happens in this passage will need the next passage for more explanation. But I want to stop here before we get to that next passage. Everybody races on to what comes immediately next because it colors this passage. But let's pretend (laughs) that we're just readers of Purgatorio and we're reading it line by line and we are assessing our own perspectives line by line. What can these 12 lines tell us? Well, what they tell us is there's a couple weird references in here, potentially to another part of Purgatorio and potentially to something historical. And then we want to talk about what Dante wants and how that might have a historical context to it. And then, of course, finally, we'll finish up with what Casella sings, love that carries on a discourse with me in my mind. The passage starts, so Dante the Pilgrim says, if a new law doesn't take from you, Casella, the memory and practice of those love songs that used to shush all my sorrows. And here we can see how Benvenuto and others came up with elaborate stories about how a musician, Casella, would soothe Dante. And perhaps that's true. The question, and I'm going to keep 
asking this question all the way out to the end of Paradiso is how far do you trust an imaginative poem? Are you making an historical claim based on an imaginative poem? Be careful. Dante plays fast and loose with the truth. Maybe a musician named Casella would shush Dante's sorrows, or maybe Dante knew of a musician named Casella and wished that this Casella, who set some other poetry to music, had set some of Dante's poetry to music. And again, imaginative literature does not take the full weight of explanation. But let's just take it for what it is. What does Dante want? He wants somehow to shush his sorrows. And I should tell you, by the way, that that word for sorrows, I'm following the Petrochi text as I always do. It is highly in doubt. Is it uh, shush my sorrows or shush my longings? Uh, I'm following Petrochi here because that's what I often do. But uh, just so you know, there's a textual corruption right there in that line. But Dante wants something quieted. That's fair to say. May it please you to console my spirit a little with one now, one of those songs. All right, let's go back. If a new law... There are two references here to the new law, and let's start with the first one. There is a reference back in Purgatorio to Cato. Remember when Cato first encounters them standing there on the shores of what we come to understand as the island that holds Mount Purgatory? Cato says, has there been some new edict or some new law? And I talked about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. I talked about Cato's rather legalistic framework that he speaks in. And this is a interesting little node that goes back to that moment when Cato appeared. This is important for what comes next in the passage of Canto 2. For now, I just want to say it is a little bit of an echo of Cato, but there's something else there about new law that we have to talk about. We have already spoken about Boniface VIII's, Dante's hated pontiff. We've already spoken about his jubilee year of 1300. This is based on a practice in Torah that essentially every 49 years, seven times seven, number of creation, seven, etc. There's all kinds of numerology running in that. Every 49 years, the 50th year is declared as a jubilee year. In Torah, what that means is financial debts are forgiven, slaves are given their freedom, all kinds of things happen every 50 years in the jubilee year. The church had all along wanted to have jubilee years. They hadn't really until Boniface codified it in 1300 with his jubilee year, in which he claimed that if you came to Rome, remember this from Inferno, if you came to Rome and if you visited two specific shrines, you were given a plenary indulgence. Now, what does that mean? I used that in the last episode of the podcast, and I was a little embarrassed that I didn't explain it, just in case you don't know what that means. A plenary indulgence is a get-out-of-jail-free card. It means essentially that all your sins are forgiven. You you have the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. The question was whether this plenary indulgence 
was for the sins you had committed up to the point of the Jubilee year, or did Boniface's plenary indulgence count for all the sins, including the future ones. You should know that this was highly debated. One of the ways that Boniface finessed his plenary indulgence is, A, he backdated it to December 25th, 1299. We talked about that in the last episode. But also, at the end of the year 1300, Boniface reassessed this plenary indulgence and claimed that it counted for those in purgatory. Now, this is incredibly interesting. Boniface essentially claimed that that plenary indulgence that I do, I come to Rome, I visit the two sacred shrines, I get my plenary indulgence, that I can kind of apply that forward to souls in purgatory. There are a couple reasons that that is incredibly interesting. One, the doctrine of purgatory is brand new. Don't forget that it is only codified as a doctrine in the 1200s. Dante is literally one of the first artists to take this on in textual form. Artists are already taking on purgatory in paintings and frescoes. But Dante really refines the concept of purgatory big time. We're going to talk much more about this to come. Is then this the reason that Casella doesn't want to get in the boat but can get in the boat and the angel takes everybody? Did Dante hear about this? Now, Late in the year 1300, Dante is not yet on the run in exile. But let's face it, information is fragmented in the high Middle Ages. You receive it through messengers, like a game of telephone, it partly wrong. How much did Dante know about the finessing of the indulgences associated with the Jubilee year of 1300? unclear. Did Dante hear that this could apply to souls in purgatory? And so he rewrote this opening bit with Casella. That's completely speculative and completely, uh, what I want to say, tenuous. Do not take that as an answer to anything. It just brings up questions of why is this plenary indulgence that Boniface VIII even claims can apply to souls in purgatory, why is it never brought up anywhere else? Is Does this come to Dante's attention? And so he quickly rewrites an opening bit to reflect that. It's just unclear. It is clear, and we're going to talk more about this very thing in this passage. It is clear that Dante's concept of the will almost seems to invalidate the concept of a plenary indulgence, but we'll get there. Let's talk for a minute about what Dante wants. So the pilgrim says, can you sing one of those songs that used to shush all my sorrows or my longings, if you take the alternate reading of that text? So Dante wants comfort. He wants something that makes him feel better. And then Casella sets in with this song. And sure enough, we find out at the back of the passage that Virgil, and Virgil's been quiet for a while. We kind of forgot about him, that Virgil and Dante and 
all those other people off the boat are refreshed by this song. They are content. It seems like this beautiful thing has touched them, this song that Casella sings. We'll come back to what the song is in a minute. This may have a very old historical node. And let me explain this. The early concepts of what happens to you after you die are not necessarily purgatorial. We're going to get into this in a future podcast and the rationales for purgatory. So let's just accept it. Right at the initial bits of the church, people don't necessarily think you're going into a penitential place. Instead, the earliest notion is that once you die, you go to, to use the Latin word, a refrigerium, a place of refreshment. The idea is that death is so difficult and all-encompassing that you go to this place where you are refreshed, where you kind of revive and catch your breath before you go on to heaven. The name of this place is sometimes, and we'll talk much more about this on down the road, the bosom of Abraham. But this refreshment place is the initial birth of the idea that there is some third space, some tertiary space between heaven and hell. And those who are moderately good end up at a place of refreshment where they can catch their breath. Saints, of course, zip straight to heaven. But the moderately good, you know, you did your best. They just need a little place where they can settle down, they can get over the pains of death, and they can feel something regenerative. Isn't that this passage? Is there a little bit of the old echo of purgatory in this passage? Now, I have no proof that Dante knew the history of the doctrine of purgatory. I do know that Dante must surely know. (laughs) That's a little bit of a contingent argument, but okay. I do know that Dante surely must have known that purgatory was really being formulated around him, and he's taking part in that formulation. Does he know the history of it. It seems to be right here that you come to the afterlife and you need a moment where you say, wow, okay, I got here. This passage seems to speak to that. All right, what is it that Casella then sings that brings them to a place of refrigerium or refreshment? He sings the song that begins, Love that carries on a discourse with me and my mind. This is actually Dante's own poetry. You may already know this. This is the canzone, the song, the longer, longish poem that begins book three of Dante's work, The Convivio, or The Banquet. I'd like to read you the opening of this song, this canzone from the Convivio, and I'm reading it to you in Andrew Frisardi's brilliant translation of the Convivio. If you don't have Frisardi's facing page translation of the Convivio, you're missing out. And if you want to study Dante more intently, you'll get yourself a copy of Frisardi's facing page translation of the Convivio. Let me read you the first stanza, we might call it in modern English, of this canzone. Love who talks and reasons in my mind. Now, that's the way that 
Frisardi has translated it. It's the same line, but I've slightly changed it. Love that carries on a discourse with me in my mind. Okay, fine. Let's let's let Frisardi have it right now. Love who talks and reasons in my mind about my lady so desirously. The lady here is wisdom or philosophy, the love of learning who talks and reasons in my mind about my lady so desirously moves things that have to do with her in me, with the love of wisdom, with philosophy, through which my intellect then, and here's the kicker, goes astray. So love leads me to philosophy, to the love of wisdom, but my intellect can't really handle it and goes astray. His speaking, love speaking, always makes so sweet a sound. The soul which listens to and feels that source says, oh, alas, I do have such force that what I hear about her, I can say. So oh, that voice of love is so beautiful that I think, oh, I, I can do it. I got enough force, power, intellect, that I can talk about philosophy. Surely I must leave off right away, the canzone goes on, if I desire to write the things I hear about her. What my intellect can't grasp, and most of what it has known too, since how to say it isn't clear. So if my poetry has some defect as it sets out upon its praise of her, just blame it on my feeble intellect and on our speech, our common tongue the way we talk, and on our speech, whose strength is not enough to tell of everything that can be said by love. Oh, so let's just stop and think about this a minute. This canzone that refreshes all the souls says that love, amour, I mean, come on, what are we talking about in purgatory? Amour, love, comes to me, it carries on a dialogue in my mind, but really, my intellect isn't good enough to express what love wants me to express about philosophy. And so I kind of falter and I kind of can't do it. Isn't it interesting that this canzone, which is partly about the failure of being able to fully articulate what love wants you to articulate, that this is what refreshes the pilgrim Virgil and all of the souls who got out of the angel's boat. What could that possibly be about? Well, let me just stop and say this has to do with love, and it's a really important thing to see. Now, listen, you can go on and study this canzone in the convivio. You can find lots of ways it resonates in Purgatorio. I'm just going to focus on one, and that is love. Okay, here it is. Apparently, love can be resisted, or love is not enough in and of itself to get its message out. Boy, this is really huge. Okay, you and I live post-romantic age, post-romanticism, in which we believe that love is almost this overwhelming force. I mean, think about TVs, movies, I don't know. Gosh, uh, what's a ridiculous movie? The Sound of Music. Okay, think about the Sound of Music. Maria shows up at the Von Tropp's house. This is absurd in a podcast about Dante. Let me have it. And, you know, the love between the captain and her is so gigantic that it just overwhelms their class, their social position, even their wills. Maria runs away and the Reverend Mother says, go back, right? So, I mean, this love just overwhelms them. That's the world we live in. 
But you and I both know that's not true. Listen, we resist love all the time. You do it. I do it too. There are moments when my husband, Bruce, just wants to take care of me. He knows that I'm stressed out or I'm overworked or I'm not sleeping well, whatever. And he wants to take care of me, feed me a nice dinner, you know, show affection toward me. And I push it away in various ways, you know, like I eat dinner without really thanking him. Or I I know I sound like a jerk, but is that not human? That love is actually not overwhelming. It can be pushed away. Okay, here's another example. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know my dad died a couple years ago. And my mom now lives in St. Louis near my brother. And I go to St. Louis as often as I can, maybe three times a year, four times a year. I mean, listen, uh, you know, I'm limited by money and I'm limited by time. So I go as often as I can to see her. And, you know, I go. My mom really wants to see me. And my mom's in her early 90s at this point. And she just wants me to hang around where she lives. She still lives independently in an independent living apartment. But she wants me to hang around with her. And even when she takes a nap on the sofa, she kind of just wants me to sit there (laughs) looking on social media on my phone because she wants me to hang around and she's trying to reach out to me and find the connection with her son and I'm human sometimes I get super irritated by it I'm like I don't want to sit here in this overheated apartment and look at TikTok and Instagram for the next two hours while my mother sleeps. I know that's what she wants because it is part of the connection we feel. And yet I get irritated and push it away. This is this. This is what Dante seems to be saying with this song is that this driving force and we're going to find out (laughs) driving force. We're going to find out that love is the basis of the universe. It's the foundation of of creation. It is the way that the heavens actually move is because of love. It is the absolute ground of human behavior. We're going to find out that love is the answer to everything in Purgatorio. It is the absolute ground of being and the essence of God. But, and this is what's crazy, you apparently can resist it. And this canzone right up front brings us to that. It is a canzone in which it speaks about how love talks to you. Love tells you what you need to know about philosophy and love of wisdom. But you know what? You just fail and your poetry fails and you just can't do it. That bit refreshes them. Just think about that for a minute. I love it more than I can possibly say. That saying occasionally, you know, I just can't deal with you, mom. Or saying sometimes to Bruce, I I just can't return the affection. I can't do it. I'm too tired. Or all the ways that love is offered to us, but sometimes we just turn away from it. That's actually okay. It's human. It's what it is to be a person. And this ties to Kasela, was told you can get in the angel's boat and for three months said, no. Apparently, you can resist the call of an angel. This is telling us that Dante thinks the will is so important to being human that you can even use your will (laughs) to resist the very foundational force of the universe, love. You can push 
back away from it. Casella did. This canzone seems to indicate that you can. It goes on to tell how love eventually can work things out, the song from the convivio. But if you just take that opening bit, it's so stark. You know, my poetry fails. My intellect can't keep up. I can't express it. Language isn't good enough. And there are all kinds of reasons why I can't do what love wants me to do. And inside of comedy, it is said that this is refreshing. In other words, listen, buddy, you've made it to the afterlife. You've made it to the good part of the afterlife. Just chill out for a minute. And if you're hesitant about starting up this mountain or if you're hesitant about what you need to do, well, you know what? That's just part of your being human. I seem to have gone on a tangent. So to get off that tangent, let's do the passage one more time. Purgatorio, Canto 2, lines 106 through 117. So I said to Casella, if a new law doesn't take from you the memory and practice of those love songs that used to shush all my sorrows, may it please you to console my spirit a little with one now, for it has dragged my body here and I am completely out of breath. Love that carries on a discourse with me in my mind, he began, then so sweetly that the sweetness still sounds inside me. My master and I and these people who were around Casella seemed so content, as if that song was the only thing that could touch our minds. Trust me, more will touch their minds in just the next few lines. Trust me, it's about to get even yet weirder. Isn't it a little bit strange, the poet quoting himself here and Casella singing the poet's own song back to the poet? Oh my gosh. We've got much to discuss from that perspective in the next episode of the podcast, Walking with Dante. So subscribe to this podcast, rate it if you don't mind, drop a comment. Oh, that would be so great. As you well know, this is an unsupported podcast, so your support helps in all the ways that it can. Thanks for being on this journey with me. I love, can you tell how much I love this stuff? And I love being human enough that I can say no even to love. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you next time.